Okay, today is Wednesday, uh, April the 19th. So tomorrow will be, uh, what I call it, uh, 420. Yeah, 420. 28th of the 4th. And guess who is actually going down to Jamaica? I gotta finish up some stuff there. I got some things to take care of in Jamaica. So I'll be flying down to Jamaica tomorrow, God's willing, like spear. And what I want to do is I've never done a reading um, in Jamaica. So I want to read the, this chapter here, which is an epilogue um, while I'm here in Canada. And then hopefully I will have the presence of mine to read the last chapter, the final chapter in Jamaica, which would I think would be a good um, OD to this book. Um, Born for Dead by Laurie Guns. Now, my wife was saying, no, I was told that I, on listening to read, my reading the other day, I, I, I was um, on the verge of putting my listener to sleep. And so I need to potentially put a little bit more rhythm, 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 rhythm in the voice. So, let me try and read with some rhythm. All right, so this one is the epilogue. Epilogue, we already established that it's not epilogue for Born for Dead by Laurie Guns. On the first Sunday in February 1992, Jim Brown's 24-year-old son, Jati, was shot off his motorcycle in downtown Kingston by a gunman from the PNP. Jati had been running things in Tivoli since his father was in prison awaiting extradition to, to the United States. At the time he was killed, Jati was making arrangements for the annual Tivoli dance in memory of Claudia Massop, the community's beloved godfather who died almost 14 years to the day before Jati himself was gone down. Hold on, let me just go get a, a jacket. I'm outside here and it's nippy. Let me go put on a jacket. Okay, so I'm back in a jacket and a little head wrap. And you know, this is indicative of the experience, the Jamaican immigrant experience in North America. The cold, it's April the 19th. And I have to be wearing a jacket outside because winter had gone, we thought anyhow. But then winter decided that um, Canada are feet, <laughs> for me and me own Canada. So winter came back and it's been here. I hear that it's gonna probably get warm on the weekend again. However, one thing we have learned, in the, the, say our plant I would took out, it's now drying up. I'm looking right now at a plant that I took out and put here on the deck. And the cold nights, because it had warmed up, so I thought, okay, I can start taking out my plants. So I put this shoot, I'm, I'm gonna put it back inside. I don't want it to die, because we had received it as a gift from a young lady years now and it's been around but um i took it from inside the house where it was struggling during the winter so that i could it could get some natural sunlight and and hopefully flourish again and because of the turn for the coal it's been dying um i was hoping that the turn was a temporary turn like a one night or a two night but it's been at least three four nights now so it's yeah it's withering and um, that's not good. I'm gonna put it back inside. 
Okay, but what we learn is that May 2-4, so not April, not March, not February. Well, February we know it's a winter month, but not March, not April, but May 2-4, which brings you right on into June, is that weekend is a weekend. I think that's Labor Day weekend. Drinking some coffee. That's a weekend before Canadians can declare that winter is gone and start really earnestly do your gardening. Yeah, so the 24th of May, May 24th, is the demarcation date for the passing of winter and the time for you to start your gardening. So that's June, right? June, July, August. By September, it starts getting cold again. So you really have four months. <laughs> and that is what we run from our country because of the crime and violence. Because for us, we didn't come here. And I know I'm going and on and on and I need to read the book and I'm going to. But after just say, you know, we didn't come here for economic, economics because frankly, God had blessed us with great careers and success in our careers in our 20s. I mean, I was being written about um, in, in the Gleaner, in newspapers, about the success that a young man who had, you know, raised up from the ghetto and um, are from hardship. And, and the reason why I carry that is because my wife always says, you know, you, you, never, it was, you didn't live in a tenement yard. You know, I did, you didn't, so she, she wants to make me know that I didn't live in a ghetto ghetto, but I, I live down, down um, out east on, on Mountain View Avenue, down the bottom of Mountain View Avenue, and we were, um, um, we came under attack from some of the men from Warwick Hill back in the 70s, back in the 70s, so, you know, my uncle was actually shot in his neck in the same shop that we had there, and Mountain View Avenue, when we decided to move, when my father decided to move his family to Portmore, they, you know, buy a house, I think it was like nine or 13,000 Jamaican dollars the house cost. And even at 13,000 Jamaican dollars at the time, during the years, NHT um, threatened to foreclose on the house, just to show you how it was. I mean, $13,000 paying a mortgage on NHT threatening to foreclose. Them days though, interest rates went up. I remember at one time interest rates was in, in the 20s. So you're paying a lot of interest on mortgages and stuff. Even although it's NHT, I don't think NHT went as far as 20s. NHT, NHT probably went the highest, 15, 18, I don't know, somewhere there. But regardless, um, my thoughts, my thoughts. Um, I'm trying to gather my thoughts. So. Here we are in a cold country, leaving the crime and the violence behind, as a, you know, um, because that's what we, we wanted, a more um, stable life for, to, to, to raise a family in, uh, in terms of society, a more stable society. My thing was I would come here for five years, get my Canadian visa, my Canadian experience, and because of how things was moving, quickly for me, career-wise, I was being groomed for politics, for political positions, and I, at the time, wasn't a fan of the political leadership at the time. 
So I didn't want to be a part of that because I've seen my good friend go in and he went in to make a change in the party and he actually became a member of parliament for downtown Kingston, central Kingston. And um, then they just spit him out when one of the old vanguards served this time in exile because he was called up for a scandal so he had to step down from the position and my guy ran for it and won and when that guy was out of the public long enough for the public to in quotes forget they bring him back and kick out my virgin so i see how, i saw how they change people and how they use people and i remember claude jeez what's the name of the guy claude 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 clark Oh, he was someone who we looked to to make changes in as young people. Peter Phillips was another one that we looked to as a changer. Um, what's the name of this one here? We had looked for as a changer, uh, a change agent. Um, Peter Phillips, Claude Clark, this other one. Geez, he was a minister of information technology. Uh, if I go through the alphabet, I might. Philip Paulwell, Philip Paulwell. And they all went in and instead of them changing the system, the political system, to, to me, to my, in my observation and in my opinion, change them. They became, I remember the first time I met Peter Phillips, young boy, because um, I, was, I was working at a place where his wife worked and his, uh, they, would, they would send me up to fix work on the computers. They would, the driver would come and pick me up and I would go up to their house and work on the computer and stuff and I met Peter and Peter who is a, at the time was the vice president of the People's National Party. He was not at the time when I met him actually, he was a young aspirant and it was a slim bridge, not slim but it wasn't a big fat guy like today where I don't know if he's still fat because I heard that he was dealing with some sickness so he probably lost the weight but he was a decent guy. We met, we actually went to Michael uh, what's his name? Christopher Black, Blackwell, Christopher Bob Marley's um, manager. Christopher Black, Chris Black, Blackwell is his name. Whatever. My brain is not. It's frozen out here in the cold. Place called uh, Fire Fire Fire. The place out by James Bond Beach. Yeah. Fire High. Is it Fire High? I keep calling it Fire something, and, I, and my wife keep correcting me. Whatever the name of the place is, and. Goldeneye, probably it's Goldeneye, Goldeneye um, um, Plantation, our place up in St. Mary there. And I met, I, met, I met Paul at the time, Paul, not Paul, Peter Phillips. And a decent guy, young guy, we had a lot of hopes. But once they got indoctrinated properly into the party, it just seemed like to us young hopefuls, that they became lockstep with what was happening instead of change agents. And it just kind of discouraged me to the point. And then I was having bad dreams about things that happened in the community, you know, being shot. Um, I could smell the blood, the raw blood of my friends constantly. Even when the smell is not there, I would smell it. Just your brain creating that smell of flesh. I remember a friend of mine, her brother got killed and we went to um, Spanish Town Hospital to identify the body. And when we went into the freezer, into the place where they had them on ice, 
that smell just stayed with me for the longest while. And these things just after a while, they just like, ah, you know, you know, driving around, you wasn't feeling safe anymore. And um, we just decided, you know, I, would, I didn't want to be a part of the political landscape at the time. Probably I was listening to too much Morty Perkins. And um, I said, you know, let me go away. Do five years, become independent of the system financially, and then come back. And, and, and God bless me, the, the independence came. But you don't realize that you're, you're creating a family. It, 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 that, that happens and, and part of the plan was, a big part of the plan was to raise a family in a, in a better society. So it would have, the thought was a common goal living in between two countries, ideally, but it just never transpired to that for many years. Now I feel like I'm doing it more so than I, I want to. <laughs> in fact, traveling down tomorrow is almost like I was saying it, telling to a friend yesterday, it's, it's like when Jesus would say, if I don't have to make the sacrifice, can I not do it? But I have to. I've come this far with what I'm working on down there. And this hopefully is a final lap to get a fully, be fully registered and licensed for what I hope, with the grace of God, will be something that I can do if God blesses me with long life um, or, 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 or what do I call it, to be an elder, although I'm already considered an elder, um, then um, it's something that I can do for the rest of my life. And not only that, um, it's something that's needed, in my opinion, because the people who are doing it for the most part, I'm not impressed. Um, and um, I'm not impressed. And um, it's too distracting. You know, they are too distracted and, and, and everybody just running down the money. Nobody's really putting in the real service that I think is needed. I mean, some are getting close to it. I know at least one or two that's close to it. But at the end of the day, success also creates a kind of monster to some extent. And honestly, at the end of the day, success requires that monster to some extent. You know, to be successful, you have to be a little bit in, in that field. Sometimes I guess you have to be a little bit brutal. So the brutality of it, I, I, I think I can probably hopefully get around that and figure out a way how I can serve the diaspora in particular um, better in that field. So we'll see. But going forward, reading this book about uh, reading the, the epilogue, we started talking about Jati. So and I can start all over the epilogue on the first Sunday. In February 1992, Jim Brown's 24-year-old son, Jati, was shot off his motorcycle in downtown Kingston by a gunman from the PNP. Jati had been running things in Tivoli since his father was in prison, awaiting extradition to the United States. At the time he was killed, Jati was making arrangements for the annual Tivoli dance in memory of Claude Massop, the community's beloved godfather, who died almost 14 years to the day before Jati himself was gone down. The killing sparked a downtown rampage in which close to 20 people died. The battle began in the emergency room at Kingston Public Hospital where enraged Tivaliites mobbed the doctors who had vainly tried to resuscitate Jati. The crowd was convinced that the hospital staff had not done all they could to save the Don. 
So they kicked down the door of the emergency room and threatened to kill at least 50 doctors and nurses in retaliation for Jati's death. After news of his demise flashed through Westkinston, the gunmen from Tivoli Gardens vented their fury on sufferers from the nearby PMP garrison of Hannatown. They kicked and shot their way into tenement yards in a, in a frenzy of rape and murder that was the nightmare replay of 1980. This was, a, this was simple justice. The JLP's Dan, who had been murdered, the DLP's Dan had been murdered, and as one, Tivalayite said, North PMP have a dead now. Three weeks later, Jati was given the equivalent of a state funeral. His supporters wanted to bury him in Tivoli Garden next to Claude Massop, but instead, Jati was interred in Maypen Cemetery. Siaga himself led the throng of 20,000 mourners, mostly young men and women whom the Gleaner described as dressing the most stunning black designs with gold accessories. The Dan's girlfriend, known to all as Foxy, walked beside Siaga in a tight black dress. Jati was laid out in a black casket with silver handles that cost $40,000 in Jamaican currency. He was uh, dressed for the year after in a white satin shirt and a suit of black velvet. The Kingston Press excoriated Siaga for attending the funeral of a well-known thug. Excoriated. Have I saw that word before? E-X-C-O-R-I-A-T-E-D, excoriated. Need to write that down. I mean, excoriated sound like a, a ripper man, but let me see what it really mean. E-X-C-O-R-I-A-T-E-D, excoriated. Censor or criticize severely. Okay. Got it. On the afternoon of the day Jati was buried, Jim Brown was burned to death in a conflagration in his prison cell. Conflagration. There we go again. Yeah, Alfie. You know, I'm curious to know what conflagration means. I can guess C-O-N-F-L-A-G. Conflagration. Conflagration. An extensive fire which destroys a great deal of land or property. Okay. Oh, never heard that word before either. Conflag conflagration. Conflagration. On the afternoon of, uh, of the day of Jati's burial, Jim Brown was burned to death in a conflagration in his prison cell, which is an extensive fire which destroys a great deal of land or property. The British Privy Council had denied his extradition appeal and agents from the Drug Enforcement Administration were waiting in Kingston to put him on a plane to Miami. Brown had vowed that if, it, if he went to trial in the United States, he would tell the world everything he knew about Siaga and the Shower Posse. Is not I one going down alone, he said to a fellow prisoner shortly before he died. No one ever found out who set the mysterious fire in his cell, but everyone knew that both Vivian Blake and Siaga wanted Brown dead. Siaga attended the funeral along with other prominent JLP politicians like Bob Z. Grinch, the councillor for Tivoli Gardens, Ryan, Pre and Preal Ryan Preal Peralto. So Siaga attended the, 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 the funeral along with other prominent JLP politicians like Bob Z. Grinch, the councillor for Tivoli Gardens, 
Voila. So Bobsy Grinch was a counselor for Tivoli Dance. I didn't even know that. Because I met Bobsy when she was representing us in Spain town. And that was another story. I think I told the story already when Bobsy and Bobsy. Well, I, I, I like Bobsy, so I'm not going to beat up on Bobsy. I'm not going to beat up on when, when I was uh, the, 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 the black leader for our like, black bear in Spanish town, and Bobsy wanted us to um, block the streets and, and burn tires and protest because they were letting down um, sewage into the river that run behind the community then in some and it would stink up the place so Bobsy said we must block the road and I remember shaking Bobsy's hand and I never forget it but yeah okay see I got attended the funeral along with prominent JLP politicians like Bobsy Grange the councillor for Tivoli Gardens and Ryan Ryan Peralta, the Member of Parliament, who once paid Delroy Edwards to shoot up Southside for the JLP. Siaga addressed a grieving crowd in Tivoli Gardens a few days before Jim Brown was buried. And a reporter asked him whether he, whether the Dan, had enjoyed the sanction of a politician. Siaga's answer was angry. As long as you, as, can't do Siaga. As long as, as long as, I hear his voice in me, but I can't do it. As long as you and other people keep, keep, keep to think of the man with a background and look at the background rather than where he stands in his community, you will always ask a question like that, Siaga said. Ask a lawyer if he looks at that background. Ask a clergyman who takes a confession if he looks at that background. Ask him if the man who he is ministering to looks at the background. Look at the man in terms of how the community respects him and treats him as a protector. The protector and his son were gone. But it would not be long before the JLP would find another, find some other community leader, as a gunman is pol politely called, to take their place in West Kingston. Vivian Blake, Jim Brown's partner in the Shower Posse, filled this role for two more years until he was arrested in January 1994 on an extradition warrant. As of this writing, he is expected to stand trial in Florida for the Shower, Shower's crime. A month after Jim Brown was killed, Michael Manley relinquished the, the Prime Ministership of Jamaica. He had been fighting cancer for five years and the time had come for him to step down. The leadership of his party and Jamaica passed to Percival James Patterson, affectionately known as PJ. He is considered by Jamaicans to be their very first black Prime Minister although the dark-skinned Hugh Shearer had held the position briefly in the 1960s. He was from the JLP and never enjoyed the widespread popularity accorded to P.J. Patterson. I was in Jamaica when Manley stepped down, and I listened to his farewell speech to Parliament on my car read as I drove through the lush hills in the parish of St. Elizabeth, where Manley had fought some of his first public battles as a labor organizer in the backside plants. I was on my way to interview the journalist Wilmot Perkins at the radio station in Mandeville where he hosts a call-in show. <laughs> Perkins, I was just mentioning Perkins and says Wilmot Perkins was an inspiration for me to leave the foolishness. And, and it's funny, the leadership at the time was PJ Pattison. I didn't get into that. And I would have to report to PJ at the time. Well, I was going to report to someone who report to PJ because I had risen to the ranks where I was reporting to the uh, this person reported to PJ, although the, 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 the gleaner had it that PJ really reported to him. 
So, but my boss reported to, to this person who reported to PJ. Right. So my boss, I admit there was me, my boss, the, that, that person, and then PJ in terms of, so that it would be me reporting to that person, then reporting to them, and I didn't want to be able, because now it become a political appointee, appointment and all of that bullshit. Anyway, long story. Perkins is undisputed. All right, Mr. Perkins, all right. I was on my way to interview the journalist Wilmot Perkins at the radio station in Mandeville where he hosts a call-in show. Perkins is an undisputed elder statesman of Jamaica journalist, a tall, imposing man with piercing eyes and extraordinarily bushy eyebrows who speak in the elegant cadence of an educated West Indian. Yes, Perkins and his he who, he who, play by the rules, get shafted. Ha, 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 ha. Fight for, anyway, I can't remember right now. He is the only media figure who has never stopped badgering Manly and Siaga about their links to gunmen. And Manly is still threatening him with a libel suit for remarks that Perkins had made several years ago on his show. I have known him long enough to appreciate and fear the sharp tongue with that has reduced some of his guests to tears on the, on the air. As I drove to Mandeville, listening to Manley's sonora, sonorous voice, sonorous voice ringing out in Parliament for the last time, I waited for him to say something about the political violence that had just spilled fresh blood in West Kingston. But he only spoke blithely about the admirable consensus and agreement between Jamaica's two parties glossing over the viciousness that had turned his country into a battlefield for the past 25 years. Perkins had just finished his program when I arrived. We talked for a while about the end of the Manly era, and then I asked him for his theory of Jim Brown's death. He would not say that Ciara was behind it, but his description of the death scene made it clear that he knew the fire had to have been ordered by a power higher than the prison guards. The fire brigade man said that, oh, per, in Perkins' voice, the fire brigade man said, uh, Perkins' voice that, the fire brigade man said that when they were called, they weren't taken to Brown's cell. The army man who went in said that when he arrived, he saw a man's body on the ground, where it had been overturned out of the stretcher and an argument raging between the police and the soldiers on one hand and the prison warders on the other as to whether the man ought to be taken to the hospital. He was there for more than an hour before they moved him. Somebody wanted to make damn sure he was dead. I'm told that he died of pulmonary enema, edema, the result of inhaling flames. That seems to me to suggest that there was one bitch of a fire going on in that cell. Perkins shot me a look full of meaning. There's a nasty underbelly of politics in this country, he said. Perkins had a few political cartoon, cartoons taped to the wall behind his desk. Next to them was the astonishing dub poem from a ghetto, ghetto bard who had signed himself only as Wayne. It had obviously been written by someone who spoke the language of the sufferers and knew who Ogun, the Yoruba god of war, and okay, and knew who Ogun, the Yoruba god of war, and Karl Marx were. Nihilist, lumpen, uptown bullshit, 
respect I, I deal with. Respect me era, respect my brethren, respect my woman. This me and your mama, papa, granny, pitney, I go feel it. This me and a one bullet fire. In no matter, I have a dog heart. If me dead, I saw man for dead. Accepting this offering, Papa Organ sits on his hilltop, wondering when his own mortality will be tested. And in history, dustbin, and in history's dustbin, Marx bides his time. Where did you get this? I asked Perkins. He shrugged. My secretary bought it from Kingston, he answered. He raises bushy eyebrows in gleeful affirmation of the poem's existence. I don't know anything else about it, but it's quite something, isn't it? The poem resonated with ominous echoes after Kingston's recent bloodletting. Years later, when I was searching for a title for this book, I spent an evening in New York with Perry Enzo, the producer of The Other Day Come. We wanted to find a phrase to express a fearsome inevitability of the passes and the bitter resignation of the young soldiers to death. To death. I remember the poem and I said, I saw man born for dead. I'll read this poem again. Nihilist Lumpen, Uptown Bullshit, Respect I Deal With. Respect my era, respect my virgin, respect my woman. This me and your mama, papa, granny, pitney, I go feel it. This me and one bullet fire. It no matter, I have a dog heart. If me dead, I saw man, man born for dead. Accepting this offering, Papa Ogon sits on his hilltop, wondering when his own mortal mortality will be tested. And in his street, dustbin, marks by this time. Don't, okay. Brambles, on the other hand, okay, one more reading, okay. Brambles left New York for Miami just after I made a trip to Jamaica in the aftermath of Jim Brown's death. He had been in the city for four years and he was exhausted by the tri tribulations of being an illegal alien in the background and squatting in Crow Knight's crack house with no job. This fourth and final winter had broken his spirit. He had lost most of his precious camera equipment after entrusting it to Shenda, who seemed to have a safer place with Mac than Brambles had at the crack house but she'd left the cartons in her car trunk and it was broken into one night. I don't know where I'm going to catch in Miami, Bramble said one night before I went down to Kingston and he came to my place with a suitcase full of clothes and shoes for his children. But I knew that he was going to join his brother, the crack dealer. Why don't you go home? I asked. You know how much Natalie and Ricky misses you. I knew the catch 22. The rule that says you don't go back to Jamaica from America, poor and in disgrace. So I knew that Brambles might never go back and that Natalie and Ricky would go on without their father, despite the promise he made to himself, to them, to me, many years ago in Kingston. Through I grow without a mother and father, I say me own pity not going to grow without me. The children were living with their half-sister in Southside, and I promised Brambles that I would spend time with them and take many rolls of pictures. He's in Miami now, working for his brother. But the man is a crackhead who loves to bet on the track. So Bramble sees most of the profits goes up in smokes. He lives in a motel without a telephone. So I can't reach him unless he calls me from the street, which he does from time to time. 
he has a second hand camera now and vows to start taking pictures again. Sometimes he talks seriously about going home. Shenda is still in Brooklyn and we see each other often. She has a new boyfriend who treats her well and she doesn't smoke much anymore. She went home to Jamaica for Christmas of 1993 and had a joyous reunion with her parents and her son and her and twin daughters. The boy is a man now, soon to graduate from his mother's alma mater, the University of the West Indies, and the twins are star students at a private school. They were raised by Shenda's parents and they have grown up well. Her ticket had an open return and I hope that she might stay in Jamaica. But she called me early January to say that she was coming back. I knew enough not to argue, but I asked her why, and she explained that it was too painful to be there without any money. It had been more than wonderful to see her son and daughters, but it humiliated, humiliated her that, that they asked for things that she couldn't give them. You must know when something is finished. You must know when something is finished, Shenda said. You have to know when it's time to go. Trevor is in upstate New York, is in our upstate New York penitentiary, serving his one-year sentence. In his absence, Crystal and I became friends. The birth of their daughter changed her life. She entered a job training program for women on welfare and stayed with it until she graduated. A few months before Trevor was due to re be released, she and the baby left New York. Trevor saw this as a desertion. But Crystal said that she would not let her child grow up in the ghetto in Bronx. Just before she left, she took Trevor's Glock to her police precinct. New York had initiated a buyback program to get guns off the street, and Crystal got a $75 gift certificate at, top, at the top for the gun. She bought clothes for her children. Then she went home to be with her mother in the South and found work in her hometown. Trevor will soon be out of prison. When I told Basil Wilson that Crystal had given away Trevor's gun, he was glad only for a moment. As soon as he comes out, he will go get another, Basil said. You cannot be a ranking on the streets without a gun. Now, Eric Chinaman Vassal, the fugitive leader of the McGregor Gully Posse, was finally arrested in Kingston in, 1990, in September 1994. He's awaited extradition to the United States. Shortly after Vassal was arrested, Edward Siaga gave a list with the names of 13 Tivoli gangsters to Trevor McMillan, the new police commissioner. The list was, you know, actually, when I just pause it, Trevor McMillan, quickly, I met Trevor when we were doing the 19, jeez, uh, something, sometime in the 90s, an election in the 90s, can't remember which one, and I was a part of a thing called Cafe Citizens, a citizen something for free and fair elections and was, I was also I was what you call a, a, a geez, can't remember the term but I had a bib I still have the bib somewhere inside the house here because I brought it when I moved to Canada and I, I went that bib I could go to different polling stations and you know inspect and oversee make sure that no one is 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 that that the voting is going proper and Trevor was at the head office with me um, so there was a, we had a head office where we dispatched different electoral overseers, probably, let's call it that. And, um, and because I was in IT at the time, I was handling the computers there and the database there. And then when they had um, 
like an area that nobody could go. They would say, yo, you know, do you want to go here? Go do a quick oversee. They're going to collect the ballots or the boxes now. And we need someone to be there to make sure that that transition goes smoothly. And I would go. But yeah, I met Trevor McMillan briefly during that, that day or during that time. Shortly after Vassa was arrested, Edward gave a list of names of 13 Tivoli gangsters to Trevor McMillan, the new police commissioner. The list was partly a publicity stunt, but it also signals Siaga in a, Siaga's inability to control his own West Kingston constituency. Citizens' action for free and fair election, right? Citizens' action for free and fair. That's what Cafe meant, right? The Tivoli gunmen were outdoing themselves with a recent spate of armed robbery and rape in Tivoli and in Rima, the ghetto nearby. Siaga said he had warned, warned the criminals, but the Dons had told him that since Siaga had not given them their guns, he could not tell them what to do. The horse already had gone through the gate, said one unapologetic Tivoliite. Wilmot Perkins called Siaga's list a cry from a drowning man. Do not mistake it for a herald of a better future, but give him credit. At least he knows he's drowning. The police commissioner declared that his men were not going to round up suspects at Siaga's BS without evidence or charges against them. The names on the list were never made public. The Tivoliite done behind the rampage against Rima was none other than Christopher Dodos Coke, another of Jim Brown's son. Paradoxically, it, it was a peacemaker's overture that had ignited Coke's rage. Ziggy Marley, Bob's son, was building a recording studio almost on the border of Trenchtown and Rima, trying to provide aspiring musicians where as uh, okay. Ziggy Marley, Bob's son. Okay, let's start. It was a peacemaker's overture that had ignited Coke's rage. Ziggy Marley, Bob's son was building a recording studio almost on the border of Trenchtown and Rima, trying to provide aspiring musicians there with a community base. Ziggy didn't give the construction work to Dudus and his posse, so the Tivoli Dan was taking his revenge. He was following in Jim Brown's footsteps, much as Ziggy was dancing in his own father's light. And that is that for the epilogue and I'm going to be doing the requiem, R-E-Q-U-I-E-M, requiem for Trevor in memorial of Trevor Phillips next, 1948 to 1997. So apparently Trevor died. And then there will be the afterword. I will probably most likely, God, God's willing, life spear, do this part when I get to Jamaica tomorrow. I'll try and do it um in kingston just because i think it's appropriate i do hope um and sorry for the change i had to cut out something there my dog was my daughter's dog was barking um so i hope i'm just I don't know, something that i really ever do is edit that part out but as i was saying um yeah god's willing life should be in jamaica tomorrow uh, we'll be flying out of canada here in Ontario, head down. Um, since I've been so vocal, I think I'll be, and I, I, well, I do not want to go on another rabbit trail diatribe, um, but I think it's still 
it's appropriate that we're really born for that and a lot of it has to do with as you know the Jamaican experience and why we leave the crime the violence of the 70s the 80s the 90s the political mockery you know and being someone who that impacted directly and as I'm sitting here in Ontario Canada it is because of that because I loved my country and I still I love my country I love being Jamaican I mean I I used to say every Jamaican is a superstar I grew up poor and we didn't even know we were poor because we were we, we may have been we may not have been wealthy we may grow up in need of physical things but we didn't want or in want probably but we, there was no need we didn't feel poor we didn't grow up in filth you know like what I've seen when someone is actually poor in North America, that I've observed anyway. We didn't, you know, we, 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 didn't, we didn't feel poor. You know, you did not feel poor, but your safety felt threatened. And I think it was, it was it Trevor or Courtney, I think it's Trevor who, who spoke about when he was growing up in McGregor Gully. And, you know, you get up in the mornings and catch the hummingbird in his hands. Yo, I, I was telling someone yesterday, my happiest, I can remember happiest, one of the happiest days, the most fulfilling day, a fulfilling feeling just came over me. I was driving through Dumbleole and around Old Britain and somehow just looking around and being in Jamaica, and this was before I even thought of evil migrating, I was feeling so, and I still remember that, and another happy feeling day actually, our contented day, I remember, I was, so it wasn't happy, but it was, that space made me feel content, like a, a sense of belonging, was when I was down in Southfield, St. Elizabeth, where my, my family is from, um, some of my family, a side of my family is from, and I was lying down underneath a mango tree. We had parked the cars out in the yard, underneath the mango tree, a little a, a bushet of mango trees and, and guava trees, plum and all kind of stuff. And, and um, my brother-in-law, my bigger brother-in-law, he was, he was there, we were chatting and listening to the music. And we turned off the radio and I just lay down. I think he had gone into my sister. And, you know, I just lay down under the tree. And the, the ripe mangoes, I, I usually say you don't pick mangoes there, you pick them up off the ground. You don't have to go into the tree to pick a mango. The mango is just falling off the tree, rotting underneath the tree. And I lie down and was just looking up and thinking, wow, you know. I, I, I just felt fully, fully, fully one, a fulfilled human. And that is the feeling you get in Jamaica when you don't have to deal with the crime, the criminality. And probably that's why a lot of these politicians and people do it. People wonder why it's so corrupt. And I want to say because the stakes are so high. It is so much of a property to, to fight for. When you are happy there, you are truly happy. And so when people leave there and come to North America, the, 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 the force that 
that's that that's the, the the fuel the thing that's fueling it has to be considerable and the considerable is the crime the violence the manipulations of your brothers and your sisters and your friends and your, en- your friends and your enemies by a political system that doesn't seem to really care about the people that and it's almost as if we can't fix it you know we, we keep putting in people and saying oh this person is going to save the day and then the person just turns out to be another politician right and and, and frankly i think that's partially our fault because we keep looking for heroes and heroes are in the movies and you know yeah we probably and then in real life heroes are subjective right and one man hero might be an next person um um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, villain. That's the term. Villain. Vi- villain. Right. The villain. The villain. The villain. The, 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 what the, what the, the society teaches. The guy in the black hat and the black boots and the black suit. The bad guy. Right. The villain. A villain. Uh, whatever you want to pronounce it. But anyhow, one man heroes can be another man. Villain. Um, and that's in real life. So, while a hero might be um, universally um, accepted as a hero in the movies, um, in real life, uh, one man hero is a next person's villain. For some people in the Third Reich in Germany, Hitler was their hero. Enough said. Right? Um, a lot of people love Siaga. I myself start Siaga somewhat heroic, not knowing all the facts. Um, but I would have laid to a Siaga administration over a Manly administration back in the day, not knowing all the facts as a young kid. And I don't even know why that was so. Because if I think about it, my dad was neutral, but more of a PMP. He was neutral, because I remember when things happened, they, both sides would come to him people from both sides. So he was a neutral person. He was an elder man that both sides respected. Right? He didn't get into the, the dirt of politics. He was more of a of a, a respected person in the arena. And um, so he was more neutral, but I want to say he would more lean to... He, he liked Joshua because he would talk about Joshua. So he liked Manly. He would talk, and I'd, I'd never heard him talk great about Siaga. I'd never heard him talk badly and get into the disparaging of any other, other leaders. So I'd never heard him ever talk disparagingly about Siaga. But I never heard him, but I, I know I heard him talk admirably about Michael Manley as Joshua. Um, but as I'm getting to go, down to Jamaica. Normally, it would be the most exciting things for me to go. Oh, I'm going to going home to Jamaica. Even for a day, I'm going to go down to Helsha. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. When you're away for so long, it's almost like Shenda said, you have to know when, you know, it's time. And when you're away for so long and you, the, the way you wanted to manifest things in your mind didn't manifest and you have been in North America for so long, you become, Jamaica means something different to you. And then with all the crime and violence that's still happening, 
while I myself can think I can see beyond it and think a lot of it has to do with how you deport yourself and how you do what you, you know, like not, not doing a podcast and calling people name, <laughs> right? That's, 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 what, that's one way to get into trouble, doing a podcast and calling people name. But I mean, the book is there. So yeah, yeah, covering myself there. It's out there. Uh, all I'm doing is reading it and putting it in this electronic form so that I myself would have read the book without stopping partway, which I still haven't finished yet. So it was actually a process of that. And also to get through living in North America, living away from Jamaica, where you love reading, putting your mind into something else because otherwise you go crazy. And frankly, I don't know if the, the jury is still out as to whether or not it's too late for me to say, you will go crazy rather than you have gone crazy. <laughs> it's too late for that now. You, 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 have, you, have, you have passed that hurdle. Um, but when you're away from Jamaica for a while and things don't manifest the way, I, I, I don't know what percentage leave and say that they will never come back. And I don't know what percentage leave to say, I'm leaving for a short time and I'm heading back home. Short, medium, long. Short say five years. Medium say 10 years. Long say say they say, I'm gonna do it until I retire. I don't know what the difference, you know. Most people I would say, like me and my virgin, we talk, we say, we want to go back while we still have some youthfulness in us. We would say we want to go back while when the sun hit us, we, we, we would can still, um, yeah, we, we still have use. <laughs> we don't want, we, you know, it's like we, we don't want to go back and, and hold and can manage. We want to can go back and pull it. Make sure say, we can, you know, stoke fire with a person, with a wife, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, not, not go around and go become some gigolo. And that's another way to end up in the news, you know, going around and messing with people, man. Not going to do that. And I can put that on a podcast and I can put that, not, not, but nah. Single or married, married definitely no, but even if I was single, would not. That's, nah. Uh, I would have to be a fool. Although, as I say, the jury is still out as to whether or not I am or not. But I would really have to be crazy or stupid or take leave of my senses to really even get into that kind of lifestyle. You know, no way. Um, yeah, no. No, no. So you, 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 you're away for a while and you became Canadianized or you, came, you become Americanized or what have you. After a while going back to Jamaica, don't carry that same, especially if you keep going and coming, going and coming, you start getting to the groove that it's okay to go and come. And going now becomes, for, for some of us, becomes uh, an exercise, it becomes a chore. Because now you're thinking, okay, I gotta go, I gotta go rent a car, I gotta go this, I gotta go that. You don't take and you gotta watch your head back. Because when you rent the car down there you now, they don't give you the car tinted, which I'm always asking for and I never get. So now everybody knows that this person driving around with an untinted vehicle must be a tourist. <laughs> you know? Now it can work for your benefit or it cannot, but nowadays it doesn't seem to be any benefit being a tourist. I just saw uh, 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 something yesterday, a gentleman talking about a tourist 
guy 36 or 33 year old Jamaican guy returning resident visiting our diaspora guy visiting his family in jeez uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue it's not fern coat but it's somewhere in St. Anne it's a name that I know can't remember now though and um, gunmen came robbed the place and shot him kill him this just happened over the weekend and the guy was talking about what is the government doing for the diaspora and while I'm a member of the diaspora it didn't come across the best way to me I didn't I didn't receive that in the best way I was thinking you know what about the people in Jamaica you we cannot expect the government well, it would be nice if the government gave us some kind of special treatment but we can't expect that from a security standpoint folks in the diaspora lives are more valuable than people who live in Jamaica and are not in the diaspora because then you're gonna say then folks who come as tourists life is another level and no every our life is important and everybody needs to be protected and the government would need to do something about what's happening at the end of the day though yes when someone from the diaspora so something like that happened it probably gets a little bit more attention for a little bit longer but at the end of the day you know the government we all have to do better for all of us that's my thoughts anyhow and i'm not just saying that you know we all have to do better for all of us because it, there's no way and actually there's no way my phone going off here there's no way uh okay i'll take a look we're gonna create a minute all right done uh, that's a friend of mine a very good boom Ja, ja. Let me just respond. Ja, ja. Ja, ja. If I could share, if I could share what just pop up on my phone here, but I can't. But I can say, I have. Beep, beep. Yo. The damn dog now. Here I go, broke, broke. I just getting some message here from a good friend of mine. And. We're talking about doing something here in Canada. And we're talking about royalty in Jamaica. Great people, great royalty. And um, I'm bringing them to do the decor for the property, the thing that we're going to be doing. And bringing what? Game over. Game over. Game over. I got to wrap this up. God is so good. Anybody listening to this would never understand what's, what I'm reading right now. Uh, yo, I, I, I got to respond to this. But it's something that, you see, as I was saying, I have to, I have to get, I'm excited. Um, still typing. Okay, see what, what's going to come next. Um, but this is amazing. All right, so now I, I got marching orders to do something. And this is, this would surpass almost anything if we could pull this together it's really and truly and it's the weirdest thing is for me to find me again to find the younger me but ironically i was listening to something that said people are depressed because they live in the past they are anxious because they live in the future and you'll find peace if you live in the present and i'm trying to live in the present so i'm gonna look at this as something in the present but type in I need to put in drive. Done.
done. Done. Uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Do this. Um, I'll. Um, I'm in Jamaica tomorrow for about a week. I'll try circle you while there but once back here we getting this done yeah so anyway i'm gonna wrap up now larry guns larry guns thank you so much for this great exp- i'll share a little bit this that i'm talking about as marley in it okay marley so yeah it has marley in it so this will be something a good representation of jamaica here in canada yeah i'm gonna look into that okay um a good representation of jamaica and maybe this is what it's about i was saying that one of the reasons i do this podcast i read into this i started it as a thing called inside out because stress just the whole you know accepting that this is where we are in Jam- this is where i am in you know this is it you know I, i'm in canada more winters than i had projected but the confusion of it you know this is where your family is you have created a family you have created a life here you have done so much here and you're chasing this Jamaica dream to go back home and to live in Jamaica while you're young, while you can still be virile and all of that. You don't want to get become a whole grey man. You want to still go back to Jamaica while people calling you youth man. <laughs> you don't want to go back to Jamaica. Uh, you want to go, go back while, and let's put together a cohesive business plan projection. Let's do that. All right. Um, so I was just reading my, my WhatsApp here. Right. So, um, what I was saying, what I was saying. You want to go back while, you know, you're virile. You want to go, and, and, and the funniest thing is, I find is, when you're younger, you see certain age as old age, and you think you're going to be bent over by then. The funny thing is that by the time you, you reach certain of these age, you still feel young, and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, but I remember growing up and looking at people at this age and thinking they were old. So why, why don't I feel old? Natural mystic. Yeah. Yes, um, I know it has some objection about using bulbs. Okay, sorry, that is not a good. Right. So sorry, that was not a good way to put it. But um, yeah, so sorry about that. I'm gonna wrap up now. I'm gonna go pack. <laughs> yeah, I don't like packing, especially. I don't like packing car, it just drives home that I'm leaving the family. 
probably should pack before my wife gets home doing it so that she doesn't see me doing it because it makes her sad. But I'm gonna go pack my suitcase and my bags and book my seat and finish my booking, get my boarding pass and God's blessing, God's willing, we'll be in Jamaica tomorrow. Oh, should be in the air this time tomorrow, but hopefully we'll be in Jamaica tomorrow. Get some stuff done in Kingston Friday. Gonna have to wait a little bit and hopefully as soon as they give me the go, finish up, tidy up, tie up the last loose strings and back home to my family here. And that's a, that's a meds um, for a lot of Jamaicans who um, go away. You know, the meds is um, you end up well, home is where the family is, right? And that's what you want. So you, it's weird. You know, it's funny, and I keep going. My, my wife today, she called me and she was talking about, you know, doing this and that and, you know, going back. And I was like, for the first time, I'm the one saying to her, listen, I've done my going back to Jamaica. I'm going back tomorrow. I'm going there tomorrow already. Still going to speak. You know, I gotta come off this and go take care of that business there because this is a big thing. So I'm gonna, and this is what I'm doing here is a big thing, but I need to make sure that my partner here that I'm speaking with in Jamaica, that, you know, she realizes that I understand that I'm taking this very seriously, but I'm very happy. What's happening? I said typing up means that something is happening here. We need to register the name, make sure that we don't do any trademark issues or, you know, yeah, so, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So I see where I see where where we're looking at. All right. I see where where our head is going. All right. So um, what I was saying is, um, when she talk about going back to Jamaica, my thing was, hey, listen, I've done the return. We spent four months in Jamaica last year consecutively. Um, I've been back to Jamaica September. I've been last year, then December. Um, then I went back January, then I went there February, and now I'm going back again. I went there February, going in March. No, I went there January, coming in February. I went there March, and now I'm going back April. So this will be my third trip in by April. And, and it was, yes, yeah, so about six times in the past year. And one of those times I spent almost four months though so i'm i'm effectively returned i've effectively returned but this is the way the return looks like and this is a, a lesson to the return to jamaica sometimes don't look like the way we had envisioned it where we're back in jamaica you get a little okay i see where your head going okay you're back in jamaica and yes you, you, you um you're back in jamaica Jesus. All right, you know what? My mind is mush because I'm thinking of two things at the same time. This last name that was sent to me kind of have me thinking. So let me actually put this aside and just finish the thought. Um, your return to Jamaica looks different. You know, initially my, my return had looked like this. Go back to Jamaica. Um, buy a, 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 a bus, a IS van, a bus or something. Um, put up a website. I even had a website um take people on tours you know friends coming down pick them up at the airport 
take them on tours i would probably have a villa or a cottage up in the, the woods somewhere and you know take them on tours pick them up at the airport take them to the cottage in fact it's not a a unique idea there you go yeah it's not a unique idea because frankly when i had sold my vanet in kingston years ago a man came down from the mountains in blue mountain i remember he was a white jamaican guy came down with a knapsack full of money it was $150,000, I think I sold it for $350,000. I can't remember which one it was. I think it's $350,000 I sold it for. And he bought the vanet from me. I'd, I'd bought a vanet off the internet from a company called Zulfigar. Zulfigar. And they shipped it from Japan. And it had seven seats. It was a seven-seater with dual AC. Love that vanet. Me and, me and my wife, we used to go on some nice um, drives on weekends in that vanet. Oh my, I miss it. And um, although she's telling me now that she never liked it, she, 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 she not like those vehicles with, without her, the, the, the nose front. It was too, she not like that. And that's the next thing, she doesn't like the IS bus. Else I would have had an IS bus by now. Uh, sometimes I hope she changed her mind because I still dream of owning an IS bus. And just, you know, it's just so comfortable. But I know the IS bus is the one that always in accidents and without much meat in the front, it's usually not a safe vehicle to drive around in Jamaica. But I, 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 I remember when I was working at a law firm in Kingston as a young kid, there was this gentleman, name was Derek Jones. He was the, the, the head for the, 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 the Jamaica Bar Association. And Mr. Jones, um, he, was a, he was a white Jamaican also, a light-skinned Jamaican anyhow uptown guy just since we're talking in the band for that thing so he wasn't us from the sufferer class and mr jones um very eloquent man uh, he's the one who i he, whenever he's giving a speech he always st start with humor which is one of the things why one of the persons i learn about giving speeches from by observing is to um is that he you always have to put humor in your speeches no matter how serious it is you have to find because I remember once we bought some laptops from IBM and they kept sending us bad laptops. We were having hard drive issues with all of them. This was back in the 90s, late 90s, mid 90s, late 90s. It was touch touchpad, I think they were called. Had a little touch, a little thing in a little red knob in the middle and thing. Um think pads and and um I was on the phone with IBM and they giving me a lot of headache and Mr. Jones took the phone because he was the head of the, although he was a partner, he was also the head of the IT, IT committee. So I had to keep him abreast of what was happening and he said, um, took the phone and he said something to them to the effect that he, he was arguing with them and, he, and this is a very, very eloquent man. I mean, he represented the state during the whole Green Bay massacre thing. He, he, he argued for the state. Um, and Mr. Jones said um, something to the effect that um, something, something, something like either it's a bad set of the assembly plant or these machines come with obia. <laughs> Never forget it. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, even in a serious situation, he would throw in obia in it. And it was, and, it, and it's funny, you know, you're talking to a North American company, you're talking about serious business, but here he's throwing in a like obia 
which and it was appropriately done and it was effective and i remember he used to drive a ias toyota ias come to work and i always say yo i love that i love the comfort looking at it it just look comfortable you know for a big person instead of going into a little car and screeching up and i just love the comfort of it so i always wanted that so my dream was going back driving a little is van picking up folks that come to the airport taking them up to my villa and just letting them have a, 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 a to recharge get them get, get a chance to see the real jamaica in a safe way enjoy the jamaica that i grew up knowing um and um yeah and, and that now you're like ah nah you know you, you just wanna come and go so i'll be going tomorrow so uh, hopefully i'll do the final of the book while there and i want to say thanks again for listening and um love your family and god bless stay blessed